Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Cybersecurity Amplified and Intensified with your host, Eric Taylor, dancing like a monkey over there. Myself, Shiva Maharaj. <coughs> and once again, we are joined by Matt Lee. And he's got a lot of letters behind his name, as you can see. I won't even go down yeah. that road. But today we are talking about incident response plans, incident response, and risk. What's going on, yeah. Matt? Hey, thanks for having me. I always love to have conversations with you gentlemen. Well, I uh, had a really we... good uh, listen of your... Is it a podcast that you're doing? Yeah, what do you want to call it? I don't know it? what to call it. Uh, it's a Matt's World. Yeah, Matt's World. We'll do something like that. Cyber Matt Lee on YouTube. He did a really interesting review slash take on insurance. So it's well worth the listen. We'll link it down below. So talk to us about IRPs. I know you had some uh, pretty good experience with that in your former role at a former employer. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, incident response, people think of this as the, the incident response when something's gone really bad. That's all they ever think of is that full-blown, bring in the insurance company, do an incident response because someone had an open RDP or had a compromised, you know, a cobalt strike, a, a, whatever it may be that actually created the incident that was finally discovered after loss, right? But incident response for me was actually trying to be a lot more prescriptive and a lot more defensible in my actions. If a, if a caller calls in and says, Hey, something was weird. My MFA went off and I didn't do it. Even if they didn't compromise the account, that's an incident, right? That's something that has to be just written down, documented what steps you took to disclose or find out the information that you needed to say, yes, this is an incident and it went further than this or not. Right. And you have to have some defensible process to do that in a way that you can repeat it over and over again, improve upon that process and find incidents. You know, we, we always think about the incident after the ransomware. We always think about the incident after the loss. We always think about the incident after the, the breach, but we don't ever think about those little micro incidents, right? The ones that, that kind of should have tipped you off, right? I, I can't tell you how many, as we started our process of doing incident responses inside of the former MSP I was at, how many times I would review ticket history before the known event and find times we should have been able to stop the kill chain, right? Find times when those first smoke events happened, we had the first thing that was tipped or we had the, you know, the little virus that they, that stopped by S1 or, and so you, you have to start defining what do you do when it is bad and how do you handle the ones in between, right? How do you investigate? What does the process look like to get that correlation between the earlier tickets that may have raised the incident or given you an IOC? Do you mean ex post facto or do you mean in the, in the first, like if we had caught him in the real time? If you had caught him in the real time, what kind of changes to your standard operating procedures do you think you would have had to put in? Yeah, yeah, totally. So what we ended up doing as we kept getting better at this, we found that we would find incidents in review that should have been incidents that weren't. And so what we, we did was we started defining times and ticket types that, that would be an incident no matter what, that would make actions happen to make them be documented and reviewed by the security team. I'm not going to say everyone has the, you know, the advantage of having three people on a security team at an MSP that just do that. Are you a one man shop? They can do that with their eyes closed. What are you talking about? No problem. But, but I would say that even if you don't, you'll find that passionate employee. You'll find that Eric Taylor that worked for an MSP. You'll find that, that says, listen, I want to be involved in this and I'll take on that additional role. I'll wear that hat. Right. But what would happen is they would trigger those tickets and the security team would gather the basic information that had to have on the list, right? Who, who, the what, where, when, why's, what was the risk? What was the compromise? What do we think we know? What do we not know? 
right? And so they would go through that. And it was usually a pretty quick process, right? We had automated tools for Microsoft Office 365. We had things that would let us just kind of script that all, right? Um, but once it was determined and written down as an incident, it, it usually wasn't beyond that. But now you could say, all right, this was some, something that got past our conditional access policies, or this is an IP that needs to be blocked, or this is a, right? And you can actually start taking these kind of things to say, we're aware of this incident. We're aware that you're under risk and target, right? And then you have that kind of history. But um, some of the times would be things like a poisoned enterprise app, for example, right? That goes in first, and then they're going to start enumerating. But the first trigger was the, what happened with this weird pop-up I got, right? And, and you have to learn how to investigate those things and figure out that. And so to leave that to an individual technician becomes fairly chart challenging in my opinion. I'm not saying that that's not... Um, and, I, and I'm biasing this a little bit. I had 170 employees jammed all together at once as technicians with varying degrees of understanding of security. And I think that paints the picture for the entire MSP space today. And so if you can centralize those things to an educated person, someone that's trying, that's learning, that's doing that, uh, but the operational pieces were essentially just putting stops in that said another set of eyes need to look at this, right? Uh, and you need some assistance from a security focused individual. I also think that's a good reason to have someone else look at a t ticket before it's finalized closed like yeah sure like you could just operationalize the whole every ticket closes out this one so is being reviewed by the notes yeah sure i mean you need it's going to take manpower but if you're not really versed in security at least having two sets of eyeballs on something could potentially flag well and here's where i'm getting at i don't think that what we're trying to do is actually be super efficacious in this first motion Right, like when I was building our IR plan, I didn't lie to myself and think I was doing something good yet. Right, I have a question like, for you with that, with that <laughs> yeah. IR plan. And Eric, this is probably your bill house because I'm just an MSP. Well, what let me I finish have? the thought so I don't lose it. But go for it. The, the the reason I say that is that what you're really trying to build as an MSP, in my opinion, is defensibility for some of your actions. Right, even if I suck at making a determination, if I apply the same way across, show improvement, show iterative growth in those capabilities. I can be wrong a lot and be quite forgiven, right? I didn't think this was an incident. I did all the digging I could. Here's the due diligence. Here's the evidence. Here's the information. I, and based on a reasonable person, I made a decision. And, and I don't think you get punished for not knowing. It's being punished for not doing the defensible actions to try to say, here's the documentation. Here's how my process works. Here's how we review the process. Here's how we fix our IR plan when we find problems. Like, it's all about showing that iterative improvement, in my opinion. So, okay. So, no, absolutely. so back to you, Shiva. Yeah, you know, one thing people keep talking about and having an, <clears throat> excuse me, having an IRP in place. Right. And that yeah. blows my mind because an, an, an IRP, a single IRP is going to cover one segment of something. It's not going to cover the entire business. So, Eric, I mean, Matt, what do you guys see when you go into places and they have an IRP? to restore from backup, but not deal with anything else. I wouldn't call it an IRP. Yeah, that's, that's, a scope, that's a scope of work. <laughs> no, but it's, it's a function inside of an IRP, right? Like, I know what you mean. It's, but that's my, that's my point, right? Narrow, yeah. Yeah, I think that that is a good point. We, do, we really don't have a definition. And Eric, if you want to jump in here, I don't want to run you over, but we don't really have a definition for what has to be in one as an overall, like what is encompassing for an MSP to be in an IR plan, what are the scenarios that can come up? What are the things and structure of teams that need to be there? Um, you know, I'll, I'll get into what my IR, pl IR plan contained, but Eric, if you want to kind of run with that as well. 
Yeah. I mean, what I was getting ready to say was, you know, that's more of a scope of work or a standard operating procedure SOP, you know, the, this is how you click these buttons and you do a restore. There's yeah. nothing, there's nothing in there that says, you know, are you looking for, you know, the persistence that or the threat actor that was in there during that time of the restore, right? Yeah. You're not looking at any of these informations to say, okay, if I'm restoring from backup from two weeks ago. By the ago, way, a real security expert, right? Damn it. Can't make my fingers point. Son of a bitch. This is retarded. Okay, See, she's hiding. She's obfuscating herself. <laughs> this is Tori Jane. She actually runs all of our security teams. So, uh, brilliant. But, sorry. Distracted. That's, that's the joys of live, right? Um, so that's one right. of the things that I would add to this, guys, is like, there is a, a scenario for us. If you wanted to start, how do I build an incident response plan? Probably identify, protect, detect, respond, recover. So, and you only have recover as the conversation in that one, right? Like, it's kind of your point, Shiva. But exactly. But and how can, many technology providers, not just MSPs, how many businesses think that's all there is? And that, yeah. that's the problem, right? Yeah, true story. If I've got backup, I'm fine. Really, how do you plan on identifying what your risk is? How do you plan on protecting the assets? Oh, so that's that easy. You just the buy problem? EDR and you don't have to use it. Yeah, EDR solves it. You don't even have to put it on. You just sleep on it. Put it under your pillow. As long as you yeah. pay that bill, you're good. <laughs> yeah, it's like installing a WAF but have nothing behind it. Um, but the, the greater or the more granular thing that really needs to be done is a lot of times not evaluating the stakeholders for certain aspects or certain roles has been always the biggest thing that I've always seen as the fail off for any sort of, you know, IRP is a response policy to be implemented. It's like, you know, you have, you know, 10 deep employees in a company, you know, Bob over here is, he's really good at analyzing email. Alex is over here really good at Sysmon and Syslog stuff, you know, identifying who is the stakeholder, who is the person to take up charge in certain areas instead of, you know, some, you know, Alex guy who has, you just started three weeks ago and has no idea what's going on is trying to figure it all out. Yeah. So really identifying those key people and what their roles are in any sort of incident response. Yeah, no, it's brilliant. We had, so what we had was, different matrices, right? Because we had defined a comms manager, right? That's going to be the person that will be responsible for comms. We had defined who's the responding technical officer, who's the responding security engagement person, who's going to be the, right? And so you start getting into having to define those, but based on the type of engagement, right? Like if I had an event that came from my MSP being compromised by a threat actor and that spreading to all of our people, we had a much different truck structure of who would be involved in those roles then if we had a single incident of email compromise at a client, right? Those might be quite local to a single office. They might be in decision of the capacitance of that general manager to move forward with some guidance from the security team. But ultimately, if it was a giant thing, it was going to be the CEO. It was going to be the head of sales with comms. And it's going to be, right? And so you have these defined, like, actors, right, uh, that, that, that all wear a hat. And they have this defined hat. It's defined what they're supposed to do. We printed comm cards for different various you know, scenarios so we could have the same communication structure uh, between us all. But yeah, the rules matter. So a couple of weeks ago, we had Alan Liska from Gordy Future on. And nice. he mentioned that a lot of companies should have an incident response engagement in place long before 
they have an yeah. actual incident. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> how are people putting together these IRPs if they don't know where they have to go? Oh, I spend money, right? Like, I'll be honest with you. We hired a team from Anil, uh, Anil Initiative. That's a couple of Air Force officers that have been doing a lot of red and blue team engagements with the Air Force for years. And, and they, they wrote, you know, a lot of really cool stuff for, for DHS and short story is they came in we spent with all of our executives, um, and all of our actors that would be part of that space. We spent two days and then they commissioned our first initial IRP and it was horrible, uh, as far as actual practicality of operational use. Um, but it was a guide. It was the beginning of what are the components? What has to be in it? And so we really just had a section for each. What is in our, our identify section? What are the, the processes? Because if you think about this, an IRP is also an operational plan for some of the stuff we talk about in security. It's not any different. They're, they're extensible, right? How do I identify my devices? We need to have a policy that says, this is how a, a device gets brought into our ecosystem and how a device gets offboarded out of our ecosystem. Well, how do I identify where our data is? This is how we consume data. This is how we find, right? You start getting into, this is really actually a, a cookbook for all of it, right? If, you, if you're going to have an incident response, you have to know what you're responding to. You have to know what it's worth is. You have to understand the regulatory conditions. You have to understand, right? That all matters. And you can't do it in a vacuum of just, is this a malop? Who gives a shit? That doesn't even matter. It's about all of the stages in that process. And so an incident response plan actually should be quite an integral living document in your day-to-day -day life as, as at least with extensible documents, right? I had 170 supporting documents for my incident response plan. And I know that sounds huge, but they're documents like, how do I set up a user? And now they're referenceable, they're part of CIS, they're part of NIST, they're part of your system security plan. They're, but I'd rather I don't have to weed through 170 documents, than go to a client and face one page that is their entire plan. <laughs> True story. And, and we've and, all seen and, it. And somewhat, uh, I look at it as, you know, I think the whole term MSP, MSSP is broken in general. I don't think it means much, but I would say that if you don't start taking on the understanding that we as MSPs have to provide that architecture, they're never going to write in their infancy, right? As an SMB that has 20 employees, that's just trying to get pipes fitted and go do the, the job they're doing. They're not going to build an IR plan, but we have to work with them to build that, understand where their data is, understand their regulatory world. I blame um, vendors for that because there's a vendor out there. Eric, I'm undecided if we want to name and shame today. Since Matt's on, we're probably Better not going to name and shame. While I'm here, I'm not a name and shame guy. Yeah, so we'll, we'll put in the show notes, children. That so, works. I'm good with it. <laughs> Dude, you almost referenced it. You almost. I'm, I'm getting uh, yeah, there. I'm getting so, there. Anyways. There's a vendor out there that says if you partner with them, you will be an MSSP. Yeah, oh, that. Add the S to your MSS, MSP, right? Yeah. I don't just like, Seriously? Yeah. The histrionics of vendors, like, I think the general statement, like, look at stop all malware. Like I was on a webinar and they wanted to put this malware free webinar below mine and Chris Roberts face. We're like, no, it's not malware free. I have malware on my laptop right now. Like I've written it myself. Like it's, Dude, uh, RMM is a malware. It's just who's in control of it. hundred percent. It's all about what's being done with it, isn't it, Shiba? Yeah, so. it's, it goes back to what we've always thought. Well, not, I shouldn't say always, but here recently definitely been talking about is, you know, People are buying a tool to find out what problems it can solve versus having a problem and finding out what tool it can solve or what tool can solve that problem, right? So right. just because you, you partnered with a SIM or SOC does not make you a freaking MSSP, yeah. you know? And that's the one thing that was really beating them up about. It's like, like, so I partner with you and I'm now an MSSP. 
And, and you know? I don't think the people providing socks under the definition that's thrown out is, is really MSSP. I think my fundamental problem is this. The CIA triad. Right. Mm -hmm. Security is all about confidentiality, integrity, and availability. That's it. That's what it's all about. All of it. It's all about data and it's all about hum humans touching that data. And so if you start thinking about that and you say, I'm a managed security service provider. Great. What data is there? How much do they touch it? What's the regulatory requirement? What are the things that mean something to them? What's the value of that data? What are the escalatory controls? Oh, no, no, no. We just do sock, man. Like I, I just, we're just, what the fuck is an MSSP then? Exactly. I guess to my MSP. point. Yeah, I, 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 you can't define MSSP to me. Define it. Point. You yeah. can't. It's it's marketing. not definable. Neither is MSP. But I have nope, a question it's for marketing. you. Matt, and yes, sir. You can feel free not to answer this because this may put people on the spot. But that's what we do here. Well, in, in your previous role, I'm assuming you auditioned many managed socks in the channel. Yeah. Did any of them have an actual contract that outlined what they do? I mean, they, they basically. Other than an SLA. Yeah, not Which really. And I, well, and I made, so I don't want to step back on this, but like I made the biggest mistake through that. Short answer is no. And the other side of that was I redlined a lot of that and we made operational agreements as our methodology to solve that. So like one of the major vendors that you would all know and love that I worked with before they were acquired by a channel person. Um, when we went with that channel person and I was going to buy $45,000 a month worth of Sentinel one, um, I didn't like the legal agreement that basically was like a software agreement, right? That just said, mm -hmm. Hey, you own all the risk, bro. Nice yeah. to see you. And so what we did was we couldn't redline out that, but we put in certain operational controls that allowed us to have fault in that contract. Right? So we were able to redline that, but that's only because I was going to spend $600,000 this, this year. Right? Like, and, and so I think that no, but I, I fixed it in my instance to say, here's what you're operationally responsible for. Here's what I know this is going to be. Here's your OPs. Here's what you have to actually do. Here's your. And so we actually had a really good working relationship, but I don't know that that's in the reach of, of everyone. And then as you go into the other socks as a service, the degree in which they're correlating, the degree in which they're tracking devices coming on and off, all of that stuff's just muddy edges, right? And it's, it's all canned alerts, man. It's canned and cron alert. jobs. And yeah. if, if it's out of bounds, it's out of bounds. But in the same breath, if people understood what its value is, how to apply it as part of their overall operation, how to supply the right stuff to help enable that, right? Setting baselines, having conversations with clients about the things that aren't money, that are just hearts and souls, that are just hearts and minds, right? Trying to convince people to turn off local admin rights. No brainer, but nobody does it. But then you can't right? use EagleSoft. I understand. Gets to be, yes, actually, let's not call out our, our friends in Wichita that I know and love as a Oops. flat file database. No, never mind. I, I absolutely, that was the worst project of my life. I, it's tangential, but back when I was an engineer, we came on, my first project was to move an EagleSoft server and it wasn't done in the, in the P2V world. It wasn't. And so we were copying flat files and I predicted three hours for the copy. Did not realize that when you're copying 17 million objects of tiny size, there's a start copy stop that turns into 20 hours. And so we sat there and watched a copy bar for this migration for like, I, I really hope there was it. Netflix involved. <laughs> there certainly was. This was many moons ago, but yes, there certainly was. It was brutal. But anyway, sorry, tangential. So uh, what do you guys do out in your current role? Are you doing anything with IRPs, helping your partners? You know, or helping develop, spread the word of what an IRP should look like? It's going to develop, right? So like one of the things that we struggle with right now is just this understanding of risk. And I love the irony in it, but 
you know, we're going through the, what can I provide and not create risk for us as an organization, just because there is some degree of subrogation capabilities and risk. And for me, it would be even worse if we, if we won, but had to throw a partner into the bus or if we won and had to throw a vendor partner into the bus. Right. And so like you get into the situation where short story is my role here is to educate. My role here is to empower, to rise the tide, to help MSPs go through my 10 years of getting punched in the face and learning things. Right. As we grew into a $40 million MSP. And so, you know, you short stories. Yes. I hope to have download downloadable templates to say, here's a great incident response template to start from. But just as I described as how part of the DNA of operations IR has to become, it can't just be a document. Right. And so you, you can't just say here, go use this and you're fine because it actually gets into how do you create accounts? How do you validate those accounts? How do you mm -hmm. confirm you're talking, like you get into things that are so deeply in the DNA of how you provide your service. The IR plans, the document of how you're going to prove how you did it over and over. And it's the evidentiary gathering capability for defensibility, right? And, and it, so everybody knows what they're doing. When the crap hits the fan, the comm manager knows their job is to take all the calls, to get everything forwarded to them. Everybody has comm cards to say, here's what I'm allowed to say to people reaching out to me and what I'm not. You have your steps of who's going to do the contain. You have the steps who's going to do the eradicate. You have your steps for who's going to do the restored operations, right? You know, you have all those. And then you have your you panels. Have, yeah. And you have good. lines drawn, right? You have this line that says, here's where I have to contact your insurance company, right? Like if you have cyber insurance, the first question I had in every incident for a customer was, do you have cyber insurance? Mm -hmm. And the reason for that was I can only go to contain if they have cyber insurance. I can't do any eradication. I can't do any reboot. I can't do any defer. I can't. That's going to be them. They're going to bring in Eric Taylor, contracted or whoever they own or whoever they've made deals with. And they're going to start that process. And if they well, show that really I did something to make their insurability be managed and wrong, that was, this is my theory, right? This is what I lived under, but um, you're with, go ahead. To, to speak on that a little bit. I mean, just to make one thing very clear, when you go, you have any sort of incident, it really depends on what is covered and what their policy is. Or, you know, we've talked about this yep. a couple of times where if an insurance policy has an approved panel or not really right. dictates everything. So like, even when we Doesn't get it in, though. Now I understood what you meant by, by approved panel. Yes. Of who can work on this incident. Yeah. Yep. yep. So like a lot of times, even if they have a, an approved panel, a lot of times we could come in and say, okay, we can at least contain the, the, the network. We can say, okay, nothing is leaving. We can verify that we can start communicating with the hackers until while the insurance companies put on notice and we have, you know, a call within, you know, the next yep. 72 days because insurance companies are notoriously slow. Um, and most people think about that. If their infrastructure can't be re restored and they have on-prem infrastructure, or even if they have Azure infrastructure, whatever, they don't have these capabilities, maybe to spin up a HA copy, then you mm -hmm. might be down until the insurance. I had one for a week where a law office was down because they didn't do any HA. You know, I scramble, we get them a server, we restore, we bring up the network, right? But we, we don't have this pre-plan, right? And so we had to, we had to do those things. But I, I think that that's an accurate point is that the insurers, if they're going to get involved, you don't want to do anything to disturb the insurability, mm -hmm. right? As the MSP, you don't want to go in and reboot the server, lose all of the, the, you know, memory that's, that's, that you could have actually pulled and quiesced to determine what they did. And now it turns out they're not insurable because you've messed with it. Right. Or you, you now you have the subrogation aspect of it. And I think you, you definitely have some risk when it comes to touching first. So we always had the policy of if we suspect an incident. We need to talk to them. And the client will go, well, what should I do? Should I call my insurance company? I really can't give you advice on that. I can tell you what the nature of this is. I can tell you, but it's your choice. If you're not going to engage the insurance, I need that back in writing. 
See, and the then I move thing, forward. Yeah. I really wish people, even if they don't call me, they don't call Barricade, they don't call me. I wouldn't. Th I, well, That's I'm just dumb. saying, you know, I'm, I'm biased naturally, but sure. I really wish MSPs would find an incident response firm that they can trust, they can have a conversations with. You know, it's like having an attorney yeah. to some degree, but you know, you have that, you start building that trust, you start building that well, relationship. You set so that threshold, right? Like, where am I going to engage, Eric? What point yeah. do we need this defensibility of a third party that can say, here's the forensics I collected? If like, if it's not an insurer, that's exactly when I would do that, right? I've done yeah. several incident responses where I just paid. I think one was uh, Infogressive. I think I did a couple through uh, Mandiant. I, you know, there were a couple different, you know, engagements that we had where, where we were just, oh, coal, coal fire, sorry, um, where we were just trying to find an incident response plan. So yes, I would say make a relationship with one maybe even retainer or come up with a structure for pricing mm -hmm. or as a service models. And, you know, when you come in, the challenge you have to understand when you're trying to pick that person is if they had to go to court, would they be able to justify what they've said? And would they have the recompense to be able to justify what they've decided? What was this an incident? What was the loss? Do I need to, do I need to disclose? Especially when you come around HIPAA or you come around, you know, the nascent privacy laws that are coming out and CCPA and things like that. There's, Real decisions to be made on what do I do? Do I do I disclose this or not? Uh, yeah, that's a big thing that you know be brought up, and a lot of people don't. It's like, oh well, this guy, this incident response firm was cheap. You know what? If it goes to court, they're not going to be able to stand up on their own two feet. Let alone the prosecutorial challenge. You know, one of the things we face right now in the, in the U.S. is that because of the technical nature and and how long our populace has said, oh, I love the smart people do that, and how much maturation our our world has had in in technology, all those coming together. I mean, if you want to prosecute something, if you want to go through this in court, the person sitting in the box probably doesn't understand what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, and so you get into this challenge where, you know, states are trying to come up with these programs to help the, the, the prosecutors and attorneys actually be able to understand these things so they can actually prosecute these type of things um, and look into it. But it, it also goes to civil court, right? That's in the same way, if, if you were being sued and, and subrogated by an insurance company, there's a very high likelihood that the humans sitting there making your judgment, whether it be the judge or 12 in a box, don't understand what was just said. And it's really all about charisma, right? It's really all about how well it could be explained and how your point can be argued. And I think just like, you know, these complex medical cases, it all comes down to the quality of the speaker on the stand. Yep. Uh, these are my opinions, but you know, I, I think that's where, when you're in this prosecutorial challenge, it really does help to have somebody that's not you, that has a vested interest that has said, like not me as an MSP. That's willing to go sit on that stand and say, yeah, this is what we did. This is why we decided to do it. Here's all the things we followed. Here's the evidence we gathered. Here's the, yeah, especially as you, and so that's what I mean. You define a threshold. If it's going to be this type of risk, I'm going to engage them because of the defensibility nature, right? Like if that makes sense. And have even data it, that can be backed up with yeah. using proper tools, not just some fly by night, yeah. open source, whatever's the cheapest, freest thing possible. Right. Not that and I have even, anything against open source. Yeah. And even if you had an incident response company on quote unquote retainer, you know, being able just to be able to pick up a phone and say, Hey, we just got this weird thing. At what point during this roadmap should I be like, let's pump the brakes and bring in the IR team. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, granted, you know, somebody getting a weird duo notification, you reset your password, right. stuff like that. But, you know, when you start getting three or four of them for the same tenant and maybe under three or oh, four hours, don't worry about it. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes there might not be much you can do other than try to react, right? And try to block those IPs, but they would just change that. But I, I mean, you know, the point is, is that you're right. I would love to have that advice. And 
I had the benefit of having those relationships when I was going through this process. I mean, I, I had the, the people I could call that didn't cost me something, if that makes sense for the advice side of it. But what I was talking about earlier is this iterative process was I really didn't have as many scenarios defined as I found. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when you start having that gap, you have a gap in your, in your incident response capabilities, right? Cause you're like, I don't have something for this. What do I do next? And I think as you iterate, you'll define more and more of that, right? As you know, the types of things, the ways they're going to come in, like that was one of the surprises to me was like, how do you find the incident? And you know, you always made this assumption it's a frontline worker, but that may not be the case. Right? It may not be, you know, my help desk that discovers them. This, this could be a project engineer. This could be right. There's all kinds of stuff where it just blew my mind that, that I didn't have plans for how we might discover these incidents and how I would have operational processes to ensure that we took care of them and documented them. And at first it was all in teams. I'm literally writing these stupid things up in, in a team's directory, right? Like with word docs. And then, you know, Speaking yeah. of which, did you see a ransomware group was looking in on a IR team? IR response. Teams? I saw that last week. Yeah. During a live recovery. Yeah. I started looking at IR mine. Team. I was like, oh, was it my crap? Yeah. <laughs> no, it was in French. We speak a different type of French on this side of the. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Ours, yeah. True story. So have you ever had a case, Matt, or know of a situation? And I asked because I've always been kind of a little bit curious because I haven't run across it myself, but. I've had a couple of cases that borderline this, but where an MSP, a technologist, whatever they want to be called this week, um, <laughs> went through and said, you know, I'm just going to restore from backup and they're under, you know, some sort of regulatory compliance, you know, yeah. pick anything out of the sky you want. Yep. And they actually, because it has teeth. Let's talk about that. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, mean, I was trying to leave it a little bit open for Matt, but um, where they actually situation. where they got in trouble because they didn't do an actual IR, they just yep. restored from backup and destroyed any and all evidence. I had I had a perfect story of this. In fact, it was funny because we were responding to an incident at a very large neuroscience company, a bunch of doctors that do uh, brain surgery, and so we we were discovering an incident. And we were starting to go down the process. We hired an IR team. The IR team came in and it was a $50,000 IR engagement. It was a huge environment. And they came in and they basically said, listen, here's an unfortunate part. We don't think you had a breach. We're going to write that down and say, here's what we know. Here's all the tools. They had a SIM. They had all the things they needed to determine this. So it was great. We don't think you had that. Unfortunately, we have found a breach from 2017. Did you guys disclose that? And I asked them and they said, no, he told us it wasn't a problem. He just restored from backup. And they ended up facing a $1.3 million fine for not disclosing that the first time. Um, yeah, and so, yes. And luckily it wasn't my execution, right? This was a former MSP. In fact, it was a guy that we hired that was a total tool. So it was perfect. But um, so well, I don't want to get into that one. That was a, that's one of those that, you know, I don't, I don't do a betrayal of trust one. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't last long. Um, but anyways, but no, yeah, for sure. Definitely. I've seen this. Yes. I haven't seen it in any other regulatory. I really haven't dealt with socks very much, Shiva. Uh, as an MSP, we, we really didn't have a lot of customers that would have fallen under a lot of Sarbanes-Oxley, but, um, or was my own ignorance. I find those all the time too. So it's okay. So I think I'll let you take this track. <laughs> no, no, it's just, I, I like Sarbanes-Oxley because it's very strict and rigid in what they yep. prescribe. And the really cool thing about it is you're not allowed to pay the ransom. Yeah. 
which mm. would take, um, which makes me wonder, is that why a lot of financial institutions aren't targeted for ransomware? It's got to be ROI. Yeah, if I you think know the you're challenge, not how do you deal with though? And maybe that's the answer here. Uh, if I'm a threat actor and I'm starting to face not getting paid, right? I would start targeting those now because I know they have to disclose. And if they have to disclose when I breach them and I put data out there, then their stock value will drop and I could own options beforehand. Uh, so <laughs> but we, we, what we've seen with SolarWinds slash Orion incident, sure. they halted trading. Yeah. 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 So, so but I have to imagine there's there. methodologies. Yeah. I still listen, would say there's yeah. always a way around everything, but. But you're right though. They do. They do have the emergency stops of those trades if, and things like that. You know, I've, I've said that we should outlaw ransomware payments and then it's hard. It, then it comes up that, okay, then there'll be extortion because someone may pay the ransom, whatever. You know what? At that I, point, they made a cognizant decision to break the law. I think you're, I think, I think if you just run efficacy conversation, I think you're accurate. I think one of my challenges is I, I like to look very multi-planar in how I see things, um, at the, all the components in the, in the matrix, if you will, like I kind of just see it in my head. I think the biggest challenges is that we're a broken industry, right? Like you and I have talked about this, talked about SRO, talked about no barrier to entry, talked about the fact, but when you really get down to it, like, even if you put that in, all you're really doing is saying, I'm hoping that the execution of these companies creates enough to change that. And as I look at the, that 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 isn't changeable in its linear state. It's going to have to have a lot of other catalysts. It's going to have to have a lot of things that drive the change in our industry that say people that I don't have to educate like this, right? At some point, there shouldn't have to be a me educating that. But attorneys don't have that challenge. They get a bar exam. They walk in. They still get some apprenticeship, sure. But, but I think we have a fundamental problem in our industry. And, and I think until that changes, just simply outlawing ransom just means if you don't pay and you have breach notifications, you're going to be out. If you don't follow those and you're non-regulatory and it just destroys you and you can't because you don't have backups, then you're out of business or you're going to learn to deal with it. And I think that is a, in my opinion, and I, I love you, fairly compassionless because I don't think those businesses understood how fucked they were by the providers Fuck that were em. protecting them. Ah, but I don't know that I feel that way. You okay, know me. How I'm many, that, but. Let's, let's take it from this perspective. How many times in your old role did your salespeople go out, pitch a deal? And the customer went with the cheaper option, not the better option. They went yeah. with the cheaper option. But I think that is in its own self, a challenge in that the industry has no floor, which means the cheaper option can exist and not have any efficacy and have no delineation. Exactly. Mm. So and I think put, that's the difference. Yeah. If you put a hard stop and say, hey, ransom's not going to be covered. Insurance, you're only allowed to cover the recovery, which does not include any lawyer's Yep. Fancy definition of what paying a ransom that could be. Shared, shared model, right? Kind of back to that, you know, yeah. like you and I said before, that co-insurance model where there's some shared responsibility in the cost. Yeah. But once the ransomware operators, listen, they knew from the get-go that insurance was going to pay. Oh, 100%. In fact, there's so, a lot of examples where they went and found out how much by exactly. breaching the same insurers. They were. Uh, I think in, I've seen two or three of those. What's the one that was in France a couple months ago? That had persistence. They happen often enough that I don't even think of them as delineable. And now they're not covering <laughs> ransomware. Anyway, like yeah. they know that they go after this company. This is what the amount's going to be. They'll give you some yeah. outlandish yeah. number. But yeah, 25 million what, is what they'll pay or 2 they million. They know what so, they're yeah. going to settle for. So you take that out of their playbook. 
they will yeah. find another way to abuse people and do whatever they have to do to make money, but it takes yep. ransomware off the table. And this will always evolve, right? Like this is just the same thing as somebody coming by and going, Eric, I sure hate for your building to burn down. Why don't you pay me 5,000 a month? I'll protect your building from burning down. Huh? Yeah. yeah, I mean, that didn't change, right? The extortion just transferred just into a different, different methodology. It's just a different yeah. way to skin the same cat at the end of the day. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's not going to stop. The, if the insurance pays or not, I, I would have to say probably 20% of my cases that I work are insurance-based. Everything yeah. is else is privately funded. Well, and that's back to the fact that the insurers have their pre-selected teams, right? And so if it is going to be paid by insurance, the likelihood that it is you is much lower than if it was going to be paid out of pocket, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So I agree with that. That makes sense. Yeah, it's just most of the time, these the policies and, you know, that's kind of why I think some of the stuff that you're going through in your webinars um, is a little is greatly important is, you know, not all insurance policies <laughs> are the same. Not all of them are going to cover the same stuff. You know, some yeah. of them don't cover anything. Some of them just handle negotiation. They don't yeah. handle any other remediation. They well, they're all struggling with like this rampant loss, right? Like if I go, I always go back to the human body, but like, I'm not going to live past a hundred like empirically. Right. And so if I'm at 99 years old and I want to go buy a life insurance policy for a hundred thousand dollars, I'm going to pay $120,000. Mm -hmm. The insurance company is going to make money. And you you're presented with this scenario where in a nascent market, insurers have no real actuarial data. And even worse, they have lies. They have forms where people said MFA's in place. Yeah, but how much? How deep? They didn't even know to ask that question until recently. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think what I'm getting at is this this is a rapidly evolving industry. If you take it back to the, the time frame of the Industrial Revolution, it's a hundred years to go through the iterations of steam engine to electricity, right? Like that's massive. We've done those type of iterations in years, in months, right? In the technology world. And and I think that's part of this symptom. You know, I think you mentioned before, but look at push bars on doors. It took exactly. mass casualties in a sewing factory. In a sewing factory, or, burning a hundred women to death. Yeah. Then they put, yeah, when Virginia sense. Tech had their shooting, the design of push bars were changed. So changed so they can't be chained. Exactly. It modifies, right? right? So, it grows to the new threat. Yeah. We're not doing that as an not industry. Well. Not well. Not in the proletariat. Yeah, we're, not in the proletariat. I've met some humans that I, I think are doing a good job. Cybersecurity um, is really I, good at banging that drum and saying, be afraid of ransomware. Well, you know what? That increases revenue for them. So great. They're going to keep doing yeah. it. Yeah, I agree. I think though that when you start thinking about the changes that have to happen in our industry, um, you know, we can't keep separating security from technology. You yeah. can't define that as a separate thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a question. Part of you guys, I don't know if we can talk about this. So tell me, no, I won't edit it, but I'll just say no. Yeah, no worries. You guys did an acquisition recently of um, a company that helps with business process or something did. like that. Yep. Anything on the table for that company to start educating customers, uh, your customers, which are providers, on what should be yes. best practice? That is the home line, for Whatever it. you want to call it. That's the home for it. And it goes back to what we talked about, right? It's not just a document. The, my doctor doesn't just read a operation manual for appendix surgery. Right? There, there's a degree of operational, you know, feel and touch and, 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 and yeah, yeah. And so I think short story is the best avenue without saying it or something like that would definitely come through. Would that be a VR version of YouTube now? <laughs> yeah, something. Sorry. <laughs> I think it's needed. You guys are 
and correct me if I'm wrong here, the preeminent MSP's choice for distribution? Well, I hope so. Um, Jay McBain probably laid that out pretty well that, that, that you know, most things are going to go through marketplace. If you start to correlate that, then like you, you know, guys are built for the channel, I would say. I hope so. We care. What, you know, what better way to say, Hey, you want to buy from us? Get some education too. That's actually going to put your customers in a better position, give you defensibility. And yeah. as Matt Lee would say, raise the tide. Yep. I was behind that acquisition from the beginning. Um, I wasn't an internal at the time, but I was in an advisory role. And I, it's something that has to exist. And it's something that my, my web content, the things I put up, that's not going to teach this. You need someone to show you your failures, to operationally guide you through it. And what's great is in that acquisition, most people don't know, the gentleman that owned that also used to be a CISSP, just never renewed it like 20 years ago. So he actually has quite the foundational knowledge. Now, as to the operational side of it and what it looks like today, um, I think the same fundamentals still apply, right? So it, it should be able to translate. And as we continue to hire those type of educators, you'll, you'll find we're going to have that kind of capacity to help people walk through what is an IR without, you know, uh, necessarily doing it all, but certainly educationally, right? And are you guys going to, I don't want to say, are you guys going to put together a panel that's not a panel, but basically options for your customers to go to? Should they need I haven't, something? I haven't thought that operational and it's also not in my role. Like, so I'm, I'm much more on the educational side than on the operational technical tactical side here. But I would say that um, after hearing our new CTO's vision and what he's building, it absolutely would be prudent of us to have those type of things. Or at least a um, Rolodex of saying, That's hey, my point. Yeah, yeah. Here's the... We're not endorsing well, them well, for liability's sake. No, no, no. I, I don't, you know, there might even be a world where there's a margin now. For us, of course, right? there's always there's a margin number for there's a margin <laughs> yeah. number for everything. Come on, Whether, yeah, but that, you know, implied or implicit. Well, I mean, even when you pay your bar dues, right? Like to some extent, there there has to be some degree of how do I offboard someone that's not doing a good job? How do I validate what they're doing? And so, a lot of those components are kind of part of that. But yeah, I, I'm not that guy. But I wouldn't be surprised if if the company I work for ended up doing that. So it is makes it, sense sorry, with that acquisition. Is it, do you think there's the writing on the wall where these type of trainings will be required? Oh, I hope. Not necessarily to, you know, start partnership, but at least say within six months oh, or one year, you I must speak have on that. this. Yeah, I won't speak on that, but you and I are very similar in our thoughts on the matter gotcha. uh, for barriers to entry. Yeah. So I, uh, we had uh, David Weeks of Enable on a while I love back. that guy. And yeah. we were talking about it that, you know, they have education, this, that, whatever. And it looks like they're taking genuine steps to make their partners better. And I asked them, I said, is there going to come a time where you're going to jettison partners because all of their team is not trained on your product? So if you wanted to control risk, you're going to have to. It's my and, and I think, you know, you guys have to do it. Anyone who's selling anyone anything, well, they, well, you're going to have to get to that. Otherwise, you're not going to well, change anything. Especially in a world where we're not defined, there isn't an overarching governance, there's not a, right? So like, I think it'll be how you win lawsuits is in the defensibility of how you chose to have partners too, right? Like, I think that's absolutely going to come. I think we're all waking up to this understanding of like supply chain risk, right? Which is what that is. If I have a customer of mine that goes out and puts me in risk because of that, right? That's, that's not worth it. And I think that's where you have this cohort kind of conversation and things there, but um, you know, who did a really good job of that is WatchGuard, right? WatchGuard won't let you enter their partner program and make margin unless you've passed this test, two technical, two sales, one this. And like, that was all Prakash that, that came up with that. Oh, shit, Prakash. 
Um, but yeah, hundred percent. Selfless is the same. I mean, but those 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 tests are joke. They are. They certainly are not the the depth and breadth we need to understand someone's operationalization and what they do. I agree. I recertified my Sophos while watching one of your videos. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Multiplanar thought. I love it. <laughs> Very cool, gents. Anything else? Oh, I've always got more else's, but today I think we've hit more the cap. Today? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think the, if I had to sum it all up, you should at least have a crappy incident response plan that should get less crappy over the next few, few months, years, and you should iterate. Bring in a security council, review yes. incidents, right? Well, we, one of the things we did was we defined a security engineer in every office that was somebody passionate about security. It'd be a Matt Lee or a Dom Kirby, right? People that are like, okay, I, I believe in this. And they would review every incident. So not only do you have the incidents and some team that's doing it, you have people going, how can I learn from this? How can I change what we do on our operational space in this office in Wichita or in Denver? How can we, and so you, like, I understand that's taking into these like non-locals, but the point is start, define an incident response plan, write down what you're going to do. Even if it's the shittiest plan in the world, it's written down and you follow it and you start growing on it and you learn. Um, I don't think the days exist where you can't have a deeply integrated incident response plan uh, in your world. And setting yourself on fire and going, whoa, 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 like Homer Simpson rolling around on the ground That's is epic. I totally pictured that. Yeah, yeah. It's an acceptable plan, at least if it's for a moment. <laughs> That's great. It is. Like, I, I don't be afraid to start. I think my, my point is there is no barrier to entry. There is no standard of care. Then you can't be wrong heading in the direction that improves your standard of care. Right? I challenge the industry to raise that barrier. The tide. tide. Yeah, I, I, I do it. Yeah, yeah, I got to, bro. <laughs> no. That's awesome. And, well, the tide, but also the barrier. What yeah. I love about raise the tide, people don't think about this is, if I raise the tide, ships float and everybody gets better and we have a higher watermark. There are some people with anchors shorter than the tide and they will drown like and that that's okay. That's so, uh, yeah, I try not to be Debbie Downer, but that is a reality of raising the tide. I like it. So Some have to drown. We work out well together. It's fine. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, and ghouls that are out there on the internet, if you have made it this far, thank you so much for tuning in for yet another episode of AmplifiedAndIntensified.com. You know what? A recent change to the platform. Shiva has put together a new website, AmplifiedAndIntensified.com. If you have heard anything that you have liked about this podcast and you want to engage Shiva or myself or be able to help sponsor by donating us some, some coffee, all the links of our calendars, buying us coffee, past episodes of both the podcast and the YouTube version are all now on AmplifiedAndIntensified.com. Go there for all of your needs. Thank you so much. And until next time. Take care.